0: So we're in part five of our series on faith. Up to this point, briefly, we've talked about how the first step of faith is God's move towards us. He pursues us. He loves us. Um, he is moving on our behalf. He gives us faith. He sees stuff in us that we don't see in ourselves. He sees a future and a hope, and so he moves towards us. Um, secondly, we talked about our, our first step of faith, and is to just believe him to take him at his word and to look to his word for direction on what that means. What does it mean that there is a God who loves me and is pursuing me and is inviting me to follow him and to believe in him? And so that's kind of where we started. Then then we began to look at what would it mean to, to look like pursuing him in the midst of obstacles in life, the difficult circumstances that we face, the mountains that get in our way. What does it look like to pursue God in light of those obstacles. And then last Sunday, we looked at the story of David and Goliath, and we looked at the fact that God gives us faith to fight. And if today is about enduring in hard times, that doesn't mean that all times, all times are hard in our walk with Jesus. There are times of victory and overcoming and seeing, seeing God do incredible things, seeing giants in our lives defeated. I believe that. I've seen that in my life but we're also not doing justice to the truth of what the Bible teaches, if, if we're going to do an honest review of biblical faith, we have to talk about seasons where we're enduring hard times because they're real and they exist. And so we're going to start this morning by looking at um, a pretty moving and somewhat heartbreaking, it's, it's encouraging on some level because we get to see heroes of the faith who endured, but it's heartbreaking to know that um, folks in our past, our elders, those who have gone before us, have suffered greatly in their pursuit of Jesus, in their walk with him. And so in the midst of this passage that we've been camped out in, in Hebrews chapter 11, where we've looked at some specific stories where people have endured in their faith, and, and we've looked at folks who have, have overcome, who've experienced victory, the writer of Hebrews doesn't stop there. He gets real about the fact that there are difficulties we will face. And so we're picking up in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. I'm thankful for how this difficult part starts because he reminds us of something powerful. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Thank you, God, that in the midst of death, there is resurrection life. Some, though, were tortured, refusing to accept release All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. That is a harsh yet honest reality of life on this earth. Suffering, pain, difficulty, it's inevitable. And in fact, one of the marks of following Jesus is not only will we experience trial and difficulty in general in this life, we will experience difficulty because we have chosen to believe in Jesus. It could be external persecution. It could be battling with the enemy that, that wants to hound us and see us defeated and beat down. But the reality is we will face difficulty. And at the, at the outset of this, I just have to say as, as hard as it is to hear this, I'm thankful that I serve a God who's honest, I am, I am grateful for some of our brothers and sisters in the Lord who just have this incredible resounding faith to believe God, to do miraculous things. I think we all need a little more of that. It's why we started where we did last Sunday. But, but I also think that we have got to be careful that we don't go too far into this realm of if I have enough faith, it's all victory that I'm not being honest with people, that there are difficulties that we face that just are hard and like kind of stay hard. Every single one of these people, it said there was something they were hoping for that they didn't see in this life, that they endured through difficulty and that when they breathed their laugh, there was something that they were hoping, believing for that had been promised that they just didn't see yet. And God's real about that. Now, Thank God that he doesn't stop there because what did Jesus tell us? Right, right near the end of his life, he said in John 16, I have said these things to you. I've been honest with you about the difficulties that you're gonna face, that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What I want to do this morning is look at three things. Very briefly, I want to talk about the nature of endurance. We're going to talk in future weeks about some of the specific things I'm going to list, but I just want to be upfront about them. So we're going to talk about the nature of endurance. Then we're going to take a look at a picture of endurance. And then finally, we're going to talk about a life of endurance. How do we walk this out? All right, y'all with me? Okay. Okay. So the nature of endurance, not to oversimplify things, but to give us a framework, a frame of reference to understand the kinds of things that we face in this life, we we need to understand the nature of endurance. First of all, one of the primary things that we will be called to endure in this life is what I'm just going to label tragedy and suffering. These These are the circumstances of life that involve Everything from natural disasters um, to the the pain of losing a loved one, um, illness, disease, like just, just those things that are a part of living in a broken, fallen world. Some of the greatest heroes of the faith suffered for years with illnesses that they didn't see healed suffered through pain and difficulty, had tragic home lives. But God, but God is present in the midst of a broken world. You and I are not immune. We will face tragedy, suffering, loss in this broken world. Secondly, another area that is is so difficult is the difficulty of living with broken people. I won't ask any of the spouses in this room to say amen there, but, you know, it's easy to think of the broken people as being the ones out there that we might encounter, but the truth is the more we live life with those closest to us, our lives are intertwined with living with broken people who are hurting, who are struggling, and unfortunately, it's hurt people that hurt people. And so one of the biggest difficulties. One of the hardest things that we have to endure is living in a broken world with broken people. And and the most challenging thing about it is that the most obvious thing is that they're the problem. They're the thing that needs fixing. They're the enemy. And then Jesus comes along saying really annoying things like, love your neighbor. Like, turn the other cheek. Like, Jesus, wasn't it enough to just ask me to try to learn how to love my wife, love my kids? Like, even the person that I would qualify as my ultimate enemy, you call me to love them. Why? Why does he do that? Because the people that rub up against us the most, that cause the most pain and the most brokenness in life, they're the very ones Jesus loves and longs to redeem. But one of the biggest um, traps that we can fall into is viewing the broken people around us as the real problem, as the real difficulty. Yes, we have to endure, but they're not the real enemy. And that leads us to the third thing. And, you know, maybe this is a little too out there spiritually for you, but, like, I believe there's a devil. I believe that. I believe we have an enemy that, that is after us, that is opposed to God, in that desires to see the destruction and devastation of human life. The Bible talks about him a lot. It says things like he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. But it also says he does more subtle things. He lies. In fact, he's the father of lies. He accuses us. He accuses the brethren. He's the tempter. He tempts us. And so, You know, I think some of us suffer great harm in not realizing, like, I've got somebody who's after me. I don't have to live in fear of him, but I should have some awareness that some of the trouble I'm facing is that there is somebody out there that wants to see me ripped off and destroyed. He wants to sow lies about those broken people I'm talking about. He wants to sow lies that cause us to question the love of God and his presence in our lives. He wants to accuse us of being too far gone, too broken, too flawed. When in truth, God's grace and redemption is real right now today. For the most broken, for the most sinful. And so we have an enemy. So listen, the reality is that's the nature of endurance. Now now we will spend significant time going forward on each of those three. We'll probably give like a Sunday to each of them. I don't want to brush past them too fast. But I, I have to tell you, our starting point in endurance is something that God would draw our attention to in the midst of these, of these things. In the midst of a fallen and broken world, in the midst of living around broken people, in the midst of the reality of a real enemy who's after us, the first thing God would try to, to catch our eyes with is the real battle of endurance that we face and that is with the man in the mirror that's what he would highlight first and foremost that's the battle of endurance that we have to face is god this me in the midst of this broken world in the midst of these broken relationships in the midst of the things i struggle with and the, ante- the enemy antagonizes me with god how would you help me endure what, what is it that you're after in my heart, in my life? So to, to try to wrap our arms around this a little bit, we're going to move now and look at a picture of endurance. Now, there are a lot of characters that we could pick. Many of them are mentioned here in Hebrews 11. But I want to hone in on um, Moses. Moses as a picture of endurance. And we're going to start at the end. We're going to start at the end because at the end of Moses' life, after 120 years, Deuteronomy tells us he was 120 years old at his death. Can you all say that? That's old, right? I mean, that, just, that takes endurance just right there. He was 120 years old and, and had faced some incredible stuff in his life and had gone through immense tragedy and suffering um, and he knew about dealing with difficult people. He knew about dealing with difficult people, and so here's Moses at the end of his life, and God takes Moses up onto this mountaintop. Um, you can read this whole passage; it's it's kind of all of Deuteronomy chapter 34. It's the closing moments of his life. We're going to hone in on verses four through seven, kind of the first part of verse seven. And so here's Moses after 120 faithful years with some failures and shortcomings along the way and a lot of things to endure. He comes to the end of his life and God's people are on the cusp of entering a promised land that Moses had never experienced. And God takes him up onto the mountaintop and after these long years, in verse four, the Lord said to him, "'This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, "'to Isaac, and to Jacob.'" I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord, and he, that's God, buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. That should bother you. Like, if, if you let the reality of what's being said right there hit you, it should bother us. That This is Moses. This is Moses of the burning bush. This is Moses of the man, maybe I stutter and I'm nervous and have a hard time speaking and I'm not sure what to say, but okay, I'll be, go before Pharaoh 10 times and let him know 10 plagues are coming until he lets us go. This is Moses who watched these miracles take place. This is Moses who led the Exodus where, where a nation, God's people, the nation was birthed as they come forth out of Egypt. And so he gets to lead that. Then the enemy is in hot pursuit and they're pinned down. And what does the Lord do? He he paves the way through the Red Sea. I mean, that's one of those things I hope I get to experience in heaven. Like if I could just be transported to that moment and stand there and look at like sea creatures swimming by and walking on dry land, like he got to see that. Like these aren't just the little kid stories. Like this guy watched God show up and do miraculous things. And he faithfully did what God asked him to do. He walked with God faithfully. He goes through the Red Sea, and then he spends 40 years of his life with grumbling, complaining, dissatisfied, whiny, broken people, who in the midst of seeing every day a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke to guide them, receiving manna from heaven, even occasionally like a nice bird for the grill, like... They're seeing this, but they're still, they're frustrated, they're grumbling, they're complaining, they're, they're upset with God, they're upset with each other, they're blaming Moses, and he's dealing with all of this, and he's endured all of this, and he's on the cusp of the very promise. Like, don't you know God could have at least let him do this and let him die a happy man in the land of promise? knowing he'd be buried there and remembered forever as one of the great heroes of the faith that ushered them into the promised land? Like, couldn't God just give him that step? God said, nope, you can see it, but you can't put your foot there. Why? Because of one moment. Because of one moment. And what about that moment? In Numbers chapter 20, we, we see the story of What takes place that caused Moses to not be able to enter the promised land? And one of the things that I think is often overlooked in this story is we pick it up a few verses in, but we miss the very first verse that sets the tone of what Moses is dealing with. If you go back and look at Numbers chapter 20, verse 1, it tells us that his sister Miriam has just died and they are in the wilderness burying her. This is is taking place during his sister's funeral. The sister who, when he was put into that basket and just hope beyond hope that he would live when all the boys were supposed to be killed in Egypt, and he goes down the water and his sister follows closely behind and, and sees him rescued by someone from Pharaoh's household, and intervenes so he can come back home and be nursed by his own mother, like that sister who, yeah, she messed up a couple of times, but she had his back. And she motivated and encouraged God's people to follow him. That sibling has just died short of the promised land. And he's mourning her. And they're in the desert. And as he's mourning his sister, guess what happens? Those wonderful Israelites who loved him, they circled around him. And they comforted him and they encouraged him and they prayed with him and they said it's gonna be all right and they honored Miriam. No. Here we are out in the desert and we're thirsty and have nothing to drink and we're gonna starve and we're gonna die out here for lack of water and we would be better off in Egypt and this is your fault. That's what he's told at his sister's funeral. I think I could have a little grace and compassion for Moses in this moment. So what happens? He's stuck out here. He's got to get into leader mode when like he's mourning. And so Moses and Aaron are like, man, we're in trouble. Like these people are furious with us and with God and we're stuck out here without water. What do we do? And so Numbers chapter 20, verse six, then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock. Can y'all say that? Tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. God has compassion. On his people. In the midst of their complaining and their frustration and their longing for Egypt, he doesn't smite them. He has compassion. And he even uses the imagery of this rock. Let's just speak to the rock and watch it give living water. Watch me soften hard places and bring life. God wants Israel to learn something about him right here. His heart, his nature, his character when they're in a dry desert season, when they're weary and they're tired. And the truth is, they're in mourning too. And so God has a heart of compassion. And so Moses leaves the tent. And in Numbers chapter 20, verse 9, Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. All right, he's two for two. He's got the staff, he gathered the assembly, there's the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. <laughs> Man, I'm just, I am totally in line with Moses here. I mean, he's like speaking my language right now. Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock with his staff twice. And because God's still good and faithful, water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. Moses has every right to be upset. He's hurting, he's frustrated, he's worn down and he just has to let them know, guess what you jerks, God's still letting you have some water. (laughs) Like he's, can y'all not relate to this? (laughs) This is so real to me. This is so real to me. Man, the level of frustration I can have sometimes with certain members of my household that just don't always seem to be especially grateful about everything that's provided for them. <laughs> like, I get this, man. I am here. Like, like this, is, this is Moses, and he's frustrated, and that frustration comes out, and he's upset. And see, Moses sees the primary issue being I'm hurting, I'm in trouble, my sister's gone, and and you miserable, frustrating people don't even deserve this, but here you go. And as the person who stood in place, who was the representation to them of the Lord, like he spoke to the people on behalf of God, and what he communicated is, I am angry and frustrated and disappointed with you, you rebels, and he struck the rock. And in his own world of seeing his personal frustration, he missed the larger issue. And so in verse 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord And through them, he showed himself holy. See, the the issue that was actually going on is that Moses was called to accurately represent the loving heart of God. And the immediate opportunity in front of Moses was in the midst of his own suffering and hurting and enduring that he had an opportunity to minister the love of God, the grace of God, the goodness and compassion of God to other people who were starving, who were thirsty, who were broken. The, The truth is, when we are walking the road of endurance, God is up to something more than what we can see right in front of us. And listen, if you are anything like me, that is hard to hear and it's hard to believe. It is easy for me to read this passage and go, God, you are so cruel. How could Moses faithfully serve you all those years and with one mistake, one outburst of anger, he doesn't get to enter the promised land? It's hard. We should should let that be hard. Are we willing and able to wrestle with God through some of these hard things? God, where are you in this? I'm not seeing you in this. I'm enduring this hard, difficult season. And even in the midst of that, I feel like I'm getting kicked while I'm down. And God, you're asking me to reflect your love and your compassion out into this world? That's exactly what he's calling us to do. He's inviting us to a life of endurance. Now, so that you don't think that I'm just randomly grabbing a story and saying, this Moses story applies here. I want you to see how God connects this, this issue of faith and endurance with our personal walk and what he wants to do in our hearts and lives. So let's go back to Hebrews now. We're going to kind of pick up where we left off. So there's the list of all the suffering and difficulty that his saints have endured. In the midst of their enduring We arrive again at verse 39, all of these, this would include Moses, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Verse 40, look at this, God's inviting us into the story now, since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect, God is telling a larger story of endurance that we are invited into. We get to somehow unbelievably get counted with their number. And what's what's funny is we do this thing when we read our Bible where we act like the chapters and verses were there when this was written. Like there's the end of the story. This is a continuous thought. Look what happens next. Flip over to chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, in light of the endurance of those saints and our personal invitation to be a part of that number, to learn to endure with those saints, to be a part of the larger story that God is telling, therefore, in light of those facts, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. That's what God was concerned about with Moses. The sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In light of this, we are called to run our own race. You know, I, I, find, I, I find irony and humor in my relationship with the Lord sometimes. You know, I've probably known for six weeks or more this message was being preached today. And a couple weeks ago, my mom reaches out and says, hey, for your dad's birthday, your brother's coming into town. My dad and brother both had birthdays right at the end of March. They're coming to town, and your dad's really been wanting to hike the Appalachian Trail Why don't you and your brother go hiking with him? Awesome, that sounds great. What day are we gonna do that? That was yesterday. So the Sunday I'm gonna preach on endurance, I went on a nine-mile hike in the mountains yesterday. Alex knows I am not currently built for nine-mile hikes (laughs) in the mountains. I would love for that to be a regular part of my life. It is not, it is not. I got to like walk it out firsthand. But one of the things I was reminded of I don't know if you realize this or not, and you may not feel this way about your personal body, but like the human body was actually designed for endurance. Like, like physically, our bodies were designed for endurance. There's a reason why, like, when you go way back in our history, we could be gatherers and hunters. We weren't faster than the animals we were chasing. We could just wear them down. We could endure and we could survive because we were able to endure. We were able to endure long journeys to find new places to live and survive, where we could find food and water, where we could find what we need. Our bodies were made to endure. Well, guess what? God uses the physical things of this world to teach us deeper spiritual principles. We are complete beings, spirit, soul, and body. And the truth is, as much as it is so Beyond frustrating and difficult that I have to live in a world that's broken and, and fallen and living with broken people, God has built, he's hardwired into my nature, the ability to endure. And God actually points out his saints who do that, and he says, look at my kid. Look at the way they hung in there. Look at my saints who endured all of this hurt, all of this pain, all of this suffering. They didn't even see their end goal in this life, but they held on. He says, look at them. And he says, don't just look at them. See the own race that is in front of you and run it well. And oh, by the way, you're not alone. Because my son has gone before you and he has fully run his race. And he ran it to success. He accomplished success. His race. And because he endured the cross, he now has made a way to share his joy with us. Because he endured, we can endure. Because he died and rose again, I know that in this body, while I suffer and I struggle and I will ultimately die, I too will be risen, risen again into new life in Jesus. That's the truth of the gospel. So this issue of endurance isn't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's look to Jesus and say, God, you got me into this mess. You started it. You're the author of it. But you're also the perfecter. You're also the finisher. So I'm looking to you to accomplish what only you can accomplish in me. And so Jesus, would you help me see you and put one foot in front of the other and keep on keeping on knowing and believing that even in death, there is resurrection life. Yes. Now listen, this is an eternal truth, but folks, this is a practical reality today because you know where this passage goes next? It almost feels like he's changing topics, but he's not. He immediately, the writer immediately says this, verse three, consider him, that's Jesus, who endured from sinners Such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted? In what? In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now, here's what I mean right here and what I don't want to say right here. What I'm not saying is that every suffering you face is chastisement from God. What I am saying is on our journey of endurance, the primary thing God is after is your heart and mine. And the truth is, you know, we start this whole series talking about he made us for a home and we're on our journey towards home. And in our journey towards home, we also have these these little milestones, markers, goals and objectives that we have. Some of them are maybe of our own creation, some of them are maybe from him, but they're there and we pursue them in this life. And some of our biggest difficulties and frustrations are when we don't reach those points and we suffer disillusionment and frustration and hurt. Listen, I believe God gives us vision for the future. I believe he gives us purposes and goals in this life. But, but please hear me. His primary goal is not for us to reach that place and be settled and be at home. His primary goal is to make his home in us. That's his home. His home is here. And he's at work in my heart and life, making himself at home. And he's doing a process in me that, that Bob Goff calls becoming love. He talks about us becoming love. I'm learning to be like who? Him. That was his issue with Moses. He's like, Moses, I love you, buddy. You've seen me face to face. We get to commune together and I'm doing something incredible in your life. I'm with you. You know me, I know you, and now you get to reflect me out in a broken world. And as you endure in this life, you're a light that shines brightly. Even your suffering preaches. Communicate my love, communicate my grace, communicate my compassion. And so it would do us well in this life when we're enduring, when we're facing trouble, to to stop and first things first, say, God, is there something you're trying to say and do right here, right now in me? Not I'm feeling guilty because I earned this or deserved it. No, just, God, what are you up to here? Is there something you want to do in me? Because because there is actually a, a tangible, practical reality that we see in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, we're, we're told that we, we now die and we're raised new. We're a new creation in Christ. But the Apostle Paul also talks about taking up his cross daily. What's that about? It's about this. There are things in me that need to die. And that's hard. The story of Moses bothers me because part of me still thinks this life is about me instead of it being about him. That I live to worship and glorify my king and my creator. Now, there's this really cool truth that when I do that, I experience peace and joy in life, and I am satisfied. But I'm not the author of it, and I'm not the decider of it. I live to glorify him. And out of his great love for me, in the same way that he called me to new life in him, to dying to that old man and being born again and looking towards an eternity in heaven in the same way that is what he is up to in my life right here, right now. There are things he wants me to experience right now that he's saying, I want to set you free of this. I want to break that chain off, but something's got to die in order for the resurrection you're going to experience on the other side. We can experience new mercies every day. I can experience healing and resurrection in my heart and life when I'm willing to let whatever whatever um, the reality of this pain, this enduring that I'm doing right now, letting God shine a light on that and say, here's what I want to do in your heart right here. God, are you exposing an idol that I've been worshiping? Lord, are you highlighting a problem in my heart that reacts in anger instead of in, in patience and kindness and love towards people? God, you're, you're growing in me. You took me seriously when I said, come live inside of me. I might not have taken that seriously, but God, you did. And so you're going room by room by room, and you're clearing out cobwebs, and you're making chaos into order. At one point during worship, I don't remember what the lyrics of the song were, but I think you were telling us to look up or something. And I looked up, I'm sitting right there, and I look up. It's like, yeah, God, I'm looking up to you. You know what I saw? Cobwebs. At first, it's like, oh, yeah, a reminder that I'm in, like, a school cafeteria. But then I felt like God was saying, no, those are like the cobwebs that just kind of show up in some of these rooms in your life. And I want to come in, and I want to clean those away, and I want to paint the walls fresh and clean. I've got some new furniture I want to put in there because I'm going to live there. And, And you and I can live an awesome life together if you'll let me have my way there. That's what this is about. He loves us and he calls us to endurance. This Moses story isn't a sob story. It's an awesome story. I'm not going to even comment on these. I want to read a little bit more at the end of Moses' life and a little bit more from Hebrews 11, and we'll close in prayer. The writer of Deuteronomy, at least this last portion, writes and comments about Moses after he's been buried. And he says, and there has not, this is in Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. How cool is that? He didn't settle by not going into the promised land. He was buried by God. God himself took his life and buried him. And the day that Moses died and didn't get, step, didn't get to step into the promised land actually is the day that he died and he stepped into the promised land. I guarantee you there wasn't a moment of regret when he stepped into the eternal kingdom. And from there, he got to watch the rest of them take territory and you gotta know he was going, way to go, Joshua. Look at Rahab coming into the family. That's awesome. Like, you gotta know he was celebrating. And so this was a man who was face to face with God, none like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants, to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. And not just Moses, but those faithful in Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had not been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Thank God that he has prepared for us a city whose builder and maker is God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the ultimate one who has endured You endured in every single way. Jesus, you endured sin and temptation and never succumbed to it your entire life. Jesus, you suffered at the hands of vicious enemies and even those closest to you who would betray you. Yet Jesus, you endured all of that through the cross even for the joy that was set before you. To have new life, to give it to us to invite us into your eternal kingdom, to invite us into resurrection life today. Jesus, I thank you that that in the midst of the things that we endure in this life, that you are present, changing us, rescuing us, redeeming our hearts and lives. Jesus, I thank you that we can do what Moses did. God, we can place our life in your hands and we can entrust into your care that which needs to die. And we can let you bury that so we can be risen anew and experience new freedom and new life in you today. Jesus, in the midst of the realities of things that we endure, absolutely there's tragedy and suffering. Absolutely there are harmful, hurtful, difficult relationships. Absolutely we have an enemy who antagonizes us. But God, in the midst of all of of that, Help us to recognize your presence right here with us and that you are performing a miracle in our hearts if we will endure, if we will endure. Do that in us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.